Hi, everybody. This is Patty Negri. Welcome to the Witching Hour, that hour of the day when the veil is thin and magic happens. The magic of this Witching Hour is my beautiful guests, and I have a great guest for you today. I have the author of the book Spirit Marriage. Yep, that's human spirits. Dr. Megan Rose. So you're going to love it. You don't want to miss her. But before I introduce Dr. Megan Rose, where's Patty? That's right. Where's Patty? Because if I don't tell you, I don't know myself. So where am I right now? If you are listening to this podcast, the week we first drop, which is the week of June 27th, 2022. First, happy summer. Happy solstice. We just had solstice last week. The equinox, Litha, the pagan holiday of Litha, which is it means it's summer. We're jumping over barrels of fire and celebrating the sun, longest day of the year. But now we're full into summer. So I am actually here all week. I'm here for a couple of weeks. Um, you can join me, though, on Tuesday, if you're listening to this by Tuesday, at my school at University Magicus. I am teaching a really fun class on amulets, charms, and talismans. Who doesn't like amulets? Who doesn't like charms? And who doesn't like talismans? Show you ways to make magical ones, use magical ones, create magical ones. So if you're interested, go to universitymagicus.com. Crazy, affordable Zoom classes, and you will be there with people all over the world, like-minded, magical folks. So check that out. I do not have a class this Sunday because it's 4th of July weekend. Yes, happy Independence Day to all you on the U.S. side of things. So, uh, get out. I think you're supposed to barbecue, look at fireworks. But if you live in fire prone Los Angeles, like I do, stay away from the fireworks. Let professionals do it. Go go sit on your balcony, sit on your roof and watch the ones coming from Dodger Stadium or the beach or Rose Bowl, all those places. Um, I live in a little hilly neighborhood and people come up with these illegal ones and it scares the heck out of me. So don't do that. Don't do that. Just go out, enjoy independence and all of that it means to you. Watch professional fireworks. Don't blow your fingers up because I helped my brother do that once when we were little kids. So anyway, that's it. I am in town. But if you're looking for something to do soon, my next thing up out of town is in towards the end of July. Want to go to Texas with me? The Dallas area? Myself, my partner in Paraflix, Natalie Jones, the paranormal princess herself, Haley and Alicia, Cosmic Divine, and Sarah, Moon Girl. We are leading a girls team paranormal investigation that you guys can come to, to the Old Park Hotel. I think it's about three hours out of Dallas. Join us. It's going to be wild. It's going to be amazing. And boys are welcome too. But come join this, this very girl team. We kind of fell in love at the last Paracon in Vegas. So now we're going to go investigate spirits together. Join us if you can. I've got it posted on my Facebook, on social media. If you can't find it, message me. And after that, in August, my next first thing up is Michigan Paracon. That's a really good one. That's a big one. We're way, way upper peninsula in Michigan at an Indian casino. Everybody who's everybody is there. Even my fellow podcaster, Bridget Marquardt's going to be there this year. I'm so excited. She is coming. All the people from all the TV shows. So join us at the Michigan Paracon. There we go. Guess what that yawn means? That yawn means it is time for the Willow Report. 
the weekly willow report and we've got a good one today wake up wake up look in the camera she's really sleepy i think she had a heck of a play date yesterday and you know what she showed us ah on that play date how fast she was running with big dogs little dogs and it's really good that she's really fast because you know why it's official she was accepted into the Los Alamitos race course Wiener Nationals, the 25th annual running of the Wiener Nationals. Yes, this little girl's going to be dressed in horsey silks with a number on her. She's going to be put in the starting gate and she's going to run like the wind. She's going to be Willow the Winner Wiener. Willow, the winner, winner. We might have to come up with a chant or something. So I am so excited. I was hopeful we had applied. I was pretty sure we were going to get in, but where we go? Hey, hey, come back. But we did get in. We are official. In a few weeks, I will know what race she's in, what color silk she's wearing, what numbers, because we do need our Team Willow wear. And you can buy Team Willow wear on my website. Um, willow and please come it's really inexpensive the money goes to charity to animal rescue um it's july 16th at los alamitos Racecourse, which is in los alamitos it's uh, orange county near la county by the seal beach area so if you're in southern california anywhere or willing to come come to the wiener dog races it's a really fun night it's like it's really it's you, there's horse races in between the dog races. You could bet on the horses. They won't let you bet on the dogs, but it's so cute. They have those big horse starting gates and the horses run and then they wheel off the horse starting gates and they put a bunch of shoe boxes tied together for the dog races. And it's big, thick dirt. So she has to work with those little legs to run, run, run because she wants that title of the fastest wiener in the West. So official news. Tell everybody about it, Willow. Tell everybody. Look at the camera. Look at the camera. Willow, the wiener winner. I'm Willow. I'm a winner wiener. I'm racer. I'm a racer. <laughs> I am so excited. My husband's so excited. Everybody's so excited. Jump a bus. Jump a plane. Grab in your car. Hitchhike. Walk. Join us at Los Alamitos on July 16th to see Willow, the wiener winner. I can't even say that. Willow, the winner wiener. I'm a racer. I'm a winner. I'm a racer. I'm a winner. We're going to start some subliminal stuff. But you have to wake up. No yawning. The crowds are going to be screaming. She's going to do a bunch of commercials for it, too, because like local news always comes out and we do things. So uh, you're going to see a lot more of Willow. She's a good dog. Anyway, that's the Willow report. And there she goes again. Someday. Okay, so it's time for a magic lesson. This week's magic lesson, I thought I would talk about psychic development. It's something I teach in my school that I believe everybody's born with it. I believe everybody has it. It does get taught out of most of us in our modern, mystical, non-mystical Western world, but we can get it back. We can get it back, just like you go to the gym and you get your muscles back. Psychic development. What is psychic development, you say? Well, being psychic means you're actually kind of able to see through the veil, through time and space, see things past, see things present, see possible futures. I never use the word 
for sure futures because we have free will. So I'm never going to tell you that a bird's going to poop on your head when you leave your house on Tuesday because I can instead say, don't leave your house on Tuesday and the bird won't poop on your head. That's where my witch side trumps my psychic side. But it's good to know patterns and paths. Um, good possibility, there could be three husbands in your life. But if you don't want three husbands in your life, this is why you maybe didn't want to marry the first two. You are doing this or doing that. But develop that psychic skill so then you could figure out how you want to navigate. What that is doing is reawaking up what we call your, your intuition, your gut instinct that I just know these things. You all have it and you all do it and you probably don't pay attention to it. The reason you don't pay attention to it because our little left chatty brain, our logical brain gets in the way all the time. Yeah, we have two brains. We do two. our left logical oversimplification, this organization, thought patterns. It gets us through day to day. It reminds us when we pay our rent, which side of the road to drive on, closing doors, opening doors. Our right side of the brain, that's our, our artist side, our creative side, our spiritual side. It's our intuitive side. They can shut each other down like this, or they can dance together. If you're having an intuitive thought, if you're having a psychic thought, a medium thought, like, wow, I'm thinking about my grandmother right now. I actually, I feel like my grandmother is standing behind me. You're to right brain. You're probably right. Your grandmother's probably standing behind me. That's why you thought of her. Her song came on. You kind of smelled her perfume. Your left brain, as a rule, is going to go, oh, that doesn't make sense. Your grandmother's been dead for years. Somebody probably just opened the window and a breeze came in and you shut it down. Instead, what if you just go, yeah, yes, that's it. Okay, I'm just going to say yes. Okay, I'm feeling grandma. Grandma, is that you? Do you have any messages for me? They don't have to be out loud. You don't have to hear it with words. It might be subliminal. It might just be a knowing. Remember, the clairs are clairaudient, clairvoyant, clairsentient. Sometimes you see with your outside eyes. Sometimes you see with your inside eyes. Sometimes you hear. Sometimes you just feel it. Sometimes you just know it. Sometimes you taste it or smell it. Yeah, I smell grandma behind me. That's her perfume. So just say yes. Tell me, you say, okay, that is grandma. I'm feeling grandma. Do you have messages for me? Oh, she's saying, get more sleep. Okay, I'm going to go with that. Get more sleep. If you want to analyze it, do it in two hours. In two hours, if you go, was that really my grandma or was that indigestion? Ah, it was because I didn't sleep enough. It was indigestion. And that's okay too. But the more you just say, okay, and not judge yourself, the more right it's going to be and the more connected you're going to be. It's all there. We just chatter ourselves out of it. Lots of ways to slow the chatter, meditation practices, breathing practices, even short meditation. I always do three deep breaths. Set yourself sacred space. I am opening this veil just a wee bit between the worlds. There's our world and there's that world. So pay attention to things. Don't go through the world being a zombie, asleep at the wheel, phoned in, automatic pilot. When you're aware of the world, be aware. Do a lot of visualization. Walk through the park. Notice how many purple flowers, red flowers, green flowers, what pulls you out, the different shades of greens, the birds. Hear the birds. Smell, taste. Open up all your senses, all your senses. And then when you get home or even sit down on a park bench, close your eyes and try to see that again. Visualize it. How much of it is going to be visual? How much are you going to, is it sense or is it feelings or it's emotions? You're going to see which of your senses are the strongest, even for your psychic senses. So go, okay, I'm really visual and I'm really 
um, I just have a knowing about things. I just really feel it about things. A lot of us are very, because many of us are empaths, I just feel things. I just know it. So look at your strong ones and then you could work on the other ones. Practice doing things like, I think Taylor Swift is going to come up on the next three songs. Make sure you're listening to a station that they play Taylor Swift. But the more you're not afraid of being wrong, the more you just let spirit take over and try to shut down that logical brain. That logical brain will shut it down every time. Just let it go. I once was doing a seance, and that's where you just have to trust, trust spirit, trust your guide, trust your higher self, trust God, whoever you're talking to, and figure out who you're getting your messages from. Maybe it's a whole conglomerate. Maybe it's the great consciousness of things. Great. But I was at a seance and often animals are the first ones to come in. So it was, yeah, who has the German shepherd with the three collars, who, whatever. All of a sudden there was a giraffe showed up. It was a giraffe showed up. And I'm like, that is insane. I am sitting in the middle of Hollywood. I can't imagine anyone here had pet giraffe, but I shut down my left brain that was going, no, 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 don't say that. No, no, no. I just said, shush, shush. I allow my right creative brain just go, all right, this sounds very odd, perhaps yes, but a giraffe just walked in and a girl at the other side of the table had grown up on a reserve in Africa and had had a pet giraffe. Had I shut it down, had I let that chatty, self-judgmental, always our own worst enemy in the way, I wouldn't have known. And that made her so happy. So it's practicing getting out of your own way, practicing quieting, quieting the chatter, the fog, the craziness. And guess what? Even if you get a little more psychic ability, you get a little more, oh, wait, these are my paths and these are my blocks. It also clears your head for everything else. So it's a win-win situation. Which card's going to be next? Black card. It's going to be a heart. Do it with tarot cards. Do it with playing cards. Do it with music. Put a bunch of colored ribbons in a dark bag. Reach your hand in and going, I'm going to pull out a red ribbon. I'm going to pull out a green ribbon. You will be surprised how good it gets. It Does it feel green? Did it smell green? Did you just know it was green? Did you see it with your third eye that it was green? It's a big, magical world out there, you guys. You are all psychic. I know it. Bring it back out. Magic is everywhere, you guys. You just got to look sometimes. And today, I am really, really excited about this one. We are just getting to meet her all together. But let me tell you a little bit about Megan Rose, PhD. She has a doctorate in East-West Psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies and a master's degree in religion and society from the Graduate Theological Union a lot of words. She's initiated ceremonial magician, a Shakta Tantric practitioner, and a senior seer in the House of Brig Ferry Seership Institute. She serves as an ordained interfaith minister and psycho-spiritual counselor, counselor and is the executive director of the Entheosis Institute, which I probably messed up that name so you can fix it. Hi, Dr. Megan. How are you? Great. How are you? It's my to be here. Yes, I am so good to have you here. We've waited for a while. Good things come to those who wait. That's what I always say. Um, but thank you for, so you have a book. You have a book that I don't have yet, but I definitely want to talk about it. Spirit marriage, spirit marriage, intimate relationships with otherworldly beings. So we're going to start off right there. Um, what is spirit marriage? Yeah, great question. I, you know, I, I like to unpack both the term spirit and this term marriage when people ask me that, because, um, you know, they're sort of the biggest 
broadest, most uh, general terms that we understand kind of sort of when we talk about spirit that we're talking about something that isn't in a physical human body at this time um but it's really a, a broad term that can include deities and angels and uh, beloved dead and fairy and ancestors and the list kind of goes on and on and on so it's generally otherworldly beings that aren't currently in a physical human incarnation. I mean, I get specific like that because, you know, as we'll probably talk about when I did this research, I discovered that um, there are people that are in spirit marriages with, say, for example, an earth spirit that will manifest through a tree. And so to say that it's, you know, everything that's disincarnate isn't actually accurate because, you know, when you have a being that you're working with that manifests through something, um, it is it is a physical something that you're in a relationship with it's just not necessarily of this this dimension this plane and then marriage right is a a term that most people understand that being married is a bonded committed relationship with someone um and that there is usually some sort of vows or ceremony or something that you sign on the dotted line around um, and so that's the the term that I've chosen, although there are other words and terms that people use like indwelling and merge um, and uh, a kind of uh, like God spouse is a term that's used um, frequently for this. And I sort of gravitated towards the term marriage because my research specifically is not just about humans that have generalized intimate relationships what's sometimes called spiritual intimacy with spirits but who have really stepped into a devotional committed relationship some kind of ritual or ceremony but just like human marriage can look a lot of different ways right and throughout history human marriage has looked a lot and has been done, gone in you know entered into for a variety of different reasons, not all for romance, um, sometimes for contracts or things that you wanna do together or whatever. So spirit marriage is similarly, not necessarily just about being in a, a romantic relationship or an, uh, a, a erotic relationship with a spirit, but sometimes people enter into these marriages for um, maybe more practical purposes or for uh, different motivations and and certainly the research that i gathered over the years of writing the book which was originally my phd dissertation that then became this book um was uh you know upheld that idea that there's a variety of ways that people enter into these relationships and motivations for that so, and this is something that's kind of been around historically and through religion and belief systems forever, right? Kind of. I mean, the first recorded accounts that I could find were in ancient Mesopotamia and the Sumerian sacred marriage ritual where the priests and the priestesses of the goddess Ishtar Inanna would, would marry her and then be in devotional service to her and, and serve as her temple keepers and her mediators to, you know, um, to the public. And so I suspect, and I think that my research really upholds that this practice of stepping into a devotional bonded relationship with a spirit being 
is really what has underpinned a lot of our evolution as a species. That's that's my personal theory. I think the research really upholds it. And certainly many of my co-researchers that I interviewed had that perspective as well. And so you could argue that this has been with us since the beginning of humanity, right? It's one of the things, you know, if you look at the Genesis account in, in um, the Bible, they talk about the sons of God, the angels coming down and marrying the, or taking of them wives. The the text reads it's Genesis six, um, <clears throat> where they talk about, or maybe it was Genesis two. In any event, um, they talk about the sons of God marrying the daughters of men and giving birth to these hybrid, giant Nephilim type beings that. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes did great works and sometimes got up to mischief, but um, depending on, you know, who you talk to and, and how they orient around that, it's um, one of the theories of where um, the sort of witch blood or the wonder working magical capacity yeah. um, of humanity came from, is that sort of intermingling of human and other, and certainly the, the folkloric stories that I've connect, collected, the mythological stories, even a lot of the, the anthropological and historical um, accounts, as well as the contemporary stories, uphold that idea that these kinds of relationships, stepping into a bonded, intimate relationship, really activates, quickens, and accelerates us as human beings, as individuals. That is beautiful. And I do. I use the term witch blood and I actually even use that same story. Half human, half not human, otherworldly. People who don't like our witchy world, I've heard them call it angel blood. Okay, that's fine. Same, you know, words are words are words. So how would it, um, so we understand the benefit. How would it benefit somebody to go, okay, I'm going to marry an other world besides maybe it's really fun and maybe your evolution as a human. How, how is it benefit to to marry somebody who doesn't have a body, perhaps? Well, I mean, let's, let me just first say that, you know, spirit marriage is, uh, you know, the way I sort of orient around it is more of an advanced practice, right? So we have um, mediumship and channeling and spirit possession and spirit communication. And there's this sort of like spectrum of ways in which we interact with the other world. And many, many folks spend their whole life just working in that milieu, right? They have a devotional deity or they have a guide and they work with them and they do wonderful things. I mean, tutelary spirits and familiar spirits are fairly widely understood concept in um, the occult and and in witchcraft. The spirit marriage usually, um, and again, we're talking about this very specific bonded, ritualized um, uh, practice that is, hap that is happening. Um, it's usually at the behest or the request of the spirit. So that is sort of one of this kind of I won't say it's the only telltale sign of authenticity, but it often when I when I when I interviewed folks because I went around and interviewed about nine different practitioners, uh, contemporary practitioners of spirit marriage, that was one of the things that um, that people told me again and again. They didn't seek this relationship out. This relationship came to them either because the spirit presented and said, "I want to marry you," or 
what is sort of a, a, a telltale sign of uh, an authentic contact is the spirit went to one of their mentors and said, or an elder in their community and said, I want to marry so-and-so. And then the, you know, the request was brought to the, the person and, um, and the ritual often sort of followed from, from that. So, and that's not to say that people can't pursue right, a, a bonded relationship with a spirit. It's just that, you know, I want people to really understand that this isn't something that you just rush into willy-nilly because you've got a crush on some deity and you want to, you know. <laughs> there are practices for stepping into more deeply loving, devoted, you know, maybe even erotic relationships with deities. But the marriage is something that, just like a human marriage, you would hopefully not rush into it and you wouldn't take it lightly. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I don't, again, this is a new area for me. What area I kind of, I did a film, a movie uh, several years ago now. I think they played it once on trial. It's called Ghostly Lovers. And it was about spectrophilia, the term spectrophilia, which is human, other entity, ghost. They made it very much like a Hallmark movie, really. These different stories of, of women, all women, I think, that had with, one was um, her ex-husband, which was beautiful. And in all honesty, that happened to my best friend. After her husband died young of cancer, it was closure. It was this beautiful thing. And one was kind of a fantasy thing. And I, I forget the other one. But what this, again, is feel just very, very ritualistic and, and beautiful. So again, so you're somebody in your one of your mentors has told you to do it your guide you make that choice to do it so what are what is the living human person getting out of it and what is the deity or spirit or whatever like that mm -hmm. you can't bring them home to mom <laughs> right right um rj stewart puts it this way rj stewart's a scottish fairy seer and um he's the mentor of my mentor orion foxwood um, or a mentor, I should say. Um, RJ says that they do things that we can't do, but we do things that they can't do. Oh. And so we're talking about um, stepping into a co-creative relationship. And the reason that I like the term marriage, again, is we have this understanding of a marriage as two people coming together and creating a new third thing which is the relationship. And sometimes that relationship manifests in physical children and offspring. Sometimes it um, is a partnership that has things that you do together and explore together and co-create together. But the spirit marriage is very much something that becomes a cauldron or a, a creative space for something to arise from. And so the... Um, the folks that I interviewed, myself included, I included my own story in in my in my book, um, is really about how these relationships formed and shaped and then gave rise to usually some sort of co-creative project out into the world. So, um, for example, I interviewed Orion Foxwood, who I just mentioned, um, and his entire school, the House of Bree. Fairy Seership Institute arose from his fairy marriage to Brie. And that marriage brought through just this tremendously powerful teaching system that is now um, has, you know, hundreds and hundreds of students all over the world. Um, in the tantric tradition, so I interviewed a, a Shakta tantric practitioner who's married to the goddess Kali. 
And her marriage to Kali really precipitated her becoming a guru and a teacher of that lineage publicly. So before that, she had been training and receiving the initiations from her guru and her lineage family. But it was really after the marriage that she was able to take that public and out into the world. Um, and on and on and on. There's uh, I interviewed uh, New Orleans and Haitian Vodou Mambos and their marriages is what facilitated or, or supported their ministry out into the world to their community. So oftentimes, and I won't say that this is um, the only outcome of the spirit marriage, but oftentimes it is um, you're called into this because you have some sort of co-creative project that you um, are bringing out into the world that's not just for you, but it's for your community. And certainly that was the result of, of my own spirit marriage, which this, you know, lovely book out into the world um, for other folks to learn about this phenomena and read about it. And, you know, my book is sort of what I hope my book is, is a first past conversation this topic. Um, like I said, I looked at it historically and anthropologically, um, and I interviewed nine different practitioners, but it is by no means the end-all final discussion on this. I'm constantly finding and hearing about new traditions that I didn't know about before, because this is a widespread phenomena. I mean, every continent, almost every culture has um, either um, cosmological tales or mythological tales or active practices that um, that bring people into this type of co-creative relationship. That's fascinating. Okay, so if you're coming together and probably usually often for a bigger project, something you bring to the world, and so you're having this like two become one, like what a marriage sort of is. So how is that, would that be different than say you're just channeling another spirit or a possession of a spirit? which yeah, people do. Yeah, spirit and channeling. I mean, it's there's some fine distinctions here. And, you know, some people understand possession and channeling in different ways. But as I experienced, and I've experienced all of these different things, possession, channeling, mediumship, and, and spirit marriage, the possessory mediumship is something that, like, you're either in conversation with or it comes in and then it leaves. Yeah? Mm -hmm. The spirit marriage, the idea of the marriage is that there's a union. Um, the way Orion describes it beautifully, Orion says, when I close my eyes, I see into Brie, my fairy wife's world. And when I open my eyes, she sees into mine. So there's a kind of, he calls it a um, symbiosis, right? There's a merging, a mingling that has happened between the two consciousnesses so that it's not about reaching very far, if at all. To the spouse, there is this cohabitation where your consciousness is sort of permanently altered by the presence of this being. Um, but it is, you know, lest we start worrying about, you know, being controlled, right, or or giving over your agency or sovereignty, um, you know, we start with this understanding that we bring a lot to the table because, like RJ said, we do things that they can't do, and so part of the 
the the process of heading into this kind of committed relationship is the discernment and the agreement setting and the boundary setting and you know there are times where you know and Orion described this beautifully in his his interview where he talks about how Bree will recede from his consciousness and be in her fairy world and doing things that he doesn't really need to be a part of, just like he will recede from her and be in his human world and do things that she doesn't need to be a part of. But all he has to do really is shift his breath, shift his vision slightly, and she's there and she's with him. And I think that the primary difference between that kind of familiar spirit or guide um, the, the, the marriage version of that versus just having a, a, a guiding presence that's always with you is, is kind of how you grok it. It's kind of how you orient towards it, what the agreement of the relationship is and what the nature is. Um, it doesn't mean that our familiar spirits and our guides aren't loving, but the intimacy of that is a slightly different flavor. It's like having your best friend versus having your spouse. Right. You're still opening and sharing certain parts of yourself and there's certain levels of intimacy, although it might not be a physical intimacy um, with a best friend, but you know, that all looks very blurry and um, not as finely defined in nice neat little boxes um, when we start thinking about polyamorous relationships and people who, um, like myself, I was married for a number of years and um, my partner, uh, my, my ex-husband and I decided that we were going to divorce, but he's still one of my best friends. So there's a level of intimacy there that is different than you know, just sort of a regular friend um, or different from my current partner who I, you know, who I live with. So lots of, and, and polyamory, I should also just one little thing. Polyamory is kind of the rule amongst um, spirit marriage because many of the people that I interviewed had human partners that they were in a bonded, you know, marriage type or, or spousal relationship with, and they were married in the spirit realm. And sometimes they were married in the spirit realm to more than one spirit. Wow. <laughs> so that, yeah, so you would call that polyamorous because I know Orion has a husband, he has a human husband. And so, so it, it's not like they're asking for monogamy or anything like that. You should have the, ah, so who, who gets, and I guess somebody's going, wow, this sounds good. Who, who gets to have a spirit husband or who should have or a wife or partner or whatever. That's a great question. I think that, you know, not everybody's necessarily going to get a spirit that's ringing their doorbell saying, I want to marry you. Um, that was my experience. That's what led me into this um, research in the first place is that I had this spirit that was like, marry me, marry me, marry me. And I, this is 20 years ago. And I was like, I have no idea what that even means. But it was great because it, it sort of forced me into doing this research and really looking at um, what is this 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 practice of marrying spirits? But not everybody has that experience, and that's that's fine. Um, we all have um, spirits that we m maybe feel a really strong affinity towards, um, and we all each of us have a divine self, right? We each of us have that part of us that is 
divine that is nested within a divine that we are a flavor or an expression of the divine in the embodied realm and we can all get to know that part of um of, of ourself that is divine and step into a deeply bonded devotional and sometimes committed relationship with that divine self what's interesting is that depending on the tradition that you talk to um, some will say well you can't marry your divine self because it's a part of you and it would be weird to marry yourself but um the shakta tantric that i interviewed that's married to kali kali is her divine self and kali is her spirit wife so in that tradition they call it the ishta devi the chosen deity um and she's you know started out in this ishta devi relationship and then married her so you know i i i really don't like to make hard and fast like oh it can't this can't happen this can't happen i say that you know when we are starting to talk about non-ordinary non-local beings that are not bound by time space things get much more fluid that's i love it well just like life on this this side of the plane too so what are some of the like if somebody's going mm, this may be interesting maybe there's going to knock on my what are some of the precautions are there any dangers to this or things that can mess you up into this world kind of thing or well i think that that's why i really encourage people to start with the divine self um we first want to i would recommend and there are people that are tra more transgressive practitioners and they will work with all sorts of spirits but i recommend that you start developing a devotional relationship with a spirit or a deity or a being that you know like and trust that you feel is um benevolent that has your best interests at mind in mind and that you um that respects your boundaries and that um, that demonstrates, right? Demonstrates to you their um, worthiness, right? Of of the relationship, because it's not just about oh, holy spirits. I am, you know, it's not just about supplication. It is about really understanding that you bring something to the table. Starting with the devotional aspect, and then that really quickly moves into the discernment practice and that is really being able to discern your spirits really being able to have the rituals the tools the practices that help you understand um, am I talking with a spirit or is this some inner aspect of myself that that is longing for something which are all valid desires and and hopes but um we really want to get good about our discernment cool tools like divination so that we can can sort of discern what is a, a desired spirit contact what is my own inner aspect what is maybe an ancestor that's coming forward to get get healing and then the third practice is just discipline i call them the three d's devotion discernment and discipline and discipline is really about showing up and doing the work because you you can't develop a relationship with someone you don't spend time with and just like a human partner you have to spend time getting to know them getting to voice their touch their presence um trusting them doing things that you are trustworthy and developing through disciplined action that bond okay I like, speaking of touch that is it is so you're like your picture what about intimacy and sexual like your your picture is pretty sexy on the cover of your book and my friend it wasn't deity it was her deceased husband that she had and from what i hear it's sexually intimacy it's really great <laughs> as far as just sex itself goes so is that how big of a part of that is 
in more, most cases? How much of it is just like the sex part? Um, it really depends. It depends on the spirit that you're working with, on the um, your needs and desires, and what you want out of the relationship. Um, some of the folks that I talked to, eroticism was a part of their spirit marriage, and others it wasn't at all. And I think just like human marriage, right? Human marriages, sometimes people have highly um, sexual marriages and some people don't. Um, and so the, the cultivation of spectrosexuality or spiritual intimacy, those sexological practices of arousal and eroticism um, can certainly be brought into the um the dynamic or be what is a precipitating factor for the relationship for myself i win these sort of spirit lover dreams where my contact would come to me and they would be these very erotic dreams um which were lovely and grand and and then at some point, merch proposal happened. And then I was like, well, what's going on here? And really wanted to learn more about it. But it became really obvious that for me, at least in the nature of my relationship, that it wasn't just about having um, an erotic spirit contact, that there was something deeper. It's often like it is with a human partner, right? There can be something much more deeper and profound. Found. And what I will say, and, and my interviewees, Caroline Kenner, um, talks about this, that eroticism with the other world is sort of less about pleasure for the human and more about activation and quickening. There is a kind of um, healing and awakening that can happen in the human that is specifically transmitted through erotic encounters. And, um, and I won't say that that's true for everyone who's having these kind of encounters, but it is um, certainly a side effect of the spiritual intimacy that I have seen um, evidenced again and again and again in the stories and the reports and the interviews that, and it was certainly a byproduct of my own, um, my own experience as well. I love that. And I do, I, again, my experience, which is very different than yours in, in the work that I've done and the people I've worked with. I love that you're doing this. I love you have this book because it has been around and people have it, whether they're called in by a deity or it's her ex-husband, or it's just some spirit lover that comes in. In our modern Western prudish society, people sit at home going, I'm, I'm crazy or I'm, it's evil or something like that. So you use the term actually normalizing the paranormal, which I'm, hmm, so what does that mean? Because <laughs> I, this has to be talked about. Yeah, well, normalizing the paranormal is really just about understanding that what we call Paul or, um, or extraordinary is really just sort of an expanded, an expansion of our five senses, right? So in often in, you know, witchy circles, we talk about the sixth sense and the extra sensory perception and things like that. Um, clairvoyance, clairaudience, whatnot, and that work of, of the witch, right? And and the, the magical practitioners to cultivate and develop those extra senses. Um, 
and you know paranormal circles have spent lots and lots of time and energy trying to demonstrably measure um in fact dr dean radin's book Magic, um i think is, is a excellent um is an excellent example of um some great paranormal research that's that he's been documenting on on yeah but in any of um it's really really just mostly the westernized culture that thinks that these sort of extra senses are weird or beyond the norm um if you step outside of the colonialist framework to other religions other cultures other traditions this is just part of being human it's just sort of part of our expanded ways of knowing and perceiving the world. And so, you know, I really want to invite more discourse and more normalization of these ways of knowing and being in the world um, so that people understand that, first of all, these things are possible. And second of all, we're not pathologizing them. You know, I'm a psychologist and I am really kind of on a little bit of a crusade to depathologize these extraordinary ways of being and knowing and really have a much broader perspective of um, what it means to be a highly sensitive person, what it means to be intuitive, what it means to have um, extraordinary capabilities. Thank and thank you for doing that for all of us, especially in the, in this day and age. Um, okay, we don't have much time, but I have one more question for you, and I'm probably even going to say it wrong. What is entheosis? Yeah, entheosis is perfect. You pronounced it perfectly. Wow. Yay! So entheosis, um, the word theos is divine, and entheos is the divine within. So it's this idea, going back to what we were talking about with the divine self, that we each have a divine self that is that that is inside of us, that can be awakened, right? It's this not this idea of god goddess divine being out there so much as it's already here the entelechy the seed of that is already inside of you and we can you know if you think of it like a little coal we can blow on that and it can get brighter and brighter and brighter until that part of us sort of lights us up like the sun right in in the um in the mystery traditions and in the ceremonial magic traditions, they call it the sun of the self. And it sort of lights us up and infuses us with that grace, with that benevolence, with that um, ability to be a blessing, right? For ourselves, for each other, for the planet. That is beautiful. And so again, relating it, how does or does that relate to spirit marriage itself? Is that part of it? I talk about it in the book. I talk about how, you know, originally I was like, Hmm, is this practice of knowing the divine self a kind of spirit marriage because you're stepping into a bonded, committed relationship? And I interviewed a ceremonial magician who had gone through the Abra Mellon operation of knowledge and conversation with his holy guardian angel. And we talked about it. And I was like, 
feel like this is a kind of marriage. And he's like, well, it's not actually inaccurate to think of it as a marriage, but we have so many um, prejudices or ideas about what marriage is that he goes, I just shy away from that term. But, you know, we are talking about stepping into a bonded devotional relationship with something that is you, but not you. It's more than you. And in fact, I like to think of it as you are an expression of it, right? I, I describe it as like, you're the fingertip of the divine and the the consciousness, the intelligence of the divine is so much bigger than you are, but you get to be an expression of it out into the world. And there might be somebody else who's expressing that same divine qualities in their own unique way, you know, but you move far enough back up the stream and you're all nested within this divine consciousness. And then there's another div divinity over there that somebody's expressing because they all have different flavors, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's a flavor of love or justice or the underworld or wisdom, right? There's all different kinds of flavors. And in the work of entheosis, we understand that we may be here to express that one flavor for our whole lives, or we may dance with a flavor for a while and then have another flavor come forward. So in, you know, some of the entheotic practices that I, that I researched, um, the, the divine self can change, right? Your, your devotional relationship can change as you grow and change as a, as an individual. Wow. That a thousand questions. Unfortunately, we don't have time. I can't wait to get the book, you guys. So to everybody's listening now going, oh, this sounds good. So tell people where they can find you, where they can find your book, um, any social media, because I know that my everybody's up as riled up as I am right now. <laughs> Well, the book is available pretty much online on um, all major booksellers, and it's in some bookstores as well. Um, and they can find me at drmeganrose.com, which is my website. Um, and also on social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Dr. Megan Rose. And then I also have a spiritmarriage.com website where um, I have some more information about the book, um, some of the resources for the book, references, I should say. And then also if people are having spirit marriage encounters or if they know of accounts that maybe weren't included in the book that they think you know would be good to have as part of this encyclopedia on spirit spirit marriage that I'm constantly collecting for, um, you can go to the spirit marriage website and submit your story or submit your account. That is beautiful. And again, thank you for doing this. So everybody, Dr. Megan Rose, drmeganrose.com and spiritmarriage.com. So um, thank you for bringing your magic to the witching hour. Thank you, doctor. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You're the best. <laughs>